and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 115. Let's roll. And uh, we're rolling right into the fantasy playoffs. We are all there. I know you guys are there. You guys listen to the show. Of course you're in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, full accountability, 16 dynasty leagues, 12 playoff berths, maybe 13. I hope I I got a team that's going to make it, probably not make it. But if it makes it, it's going to lose immediately. Anyway, so hopefully 12 out of 16 and, uh, and uh, three first round buys. All you want is a shot at the chip. And uh, and that's it, man. Win two or three, and you're you're a champion. You win some money. Um, hopefully, you guys win in second place. No no chopping. Don't chop the pot. Just take it all down. Dominate that that week. Uh, unless you're unless you're a big underdog and you can convince the guy to chop it, maybe they'd do that. But uh, here we are, uh, week fifteen, and and kind of an interesting one uh, in terms of you know some of these player evals going in. I mean, you know, you got the J.K. Dobbins type coming back. Do you play him? There's some questions there. There's a there's a lot of questions, and we're going to try and answer some of them, many of them, all of them. Uh, I've got a uh, data, 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 data. Which one is it? Data, data, scientist on the show today. So hopefully he can, you know, peruse the data and tell us what the hell to do this week. When without further ado, let's bring out said data scientist, Abhi Gupta. You can find Abhi on Twitter at real Abhi Gupta. Abby, what is going on? Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, it is so great to be on the pod. Uh, I have been following your content for, I don't know, what, four years now? I've been playing Dynasty since 2019. We're almost in 2023. And, you know, I feel like I've grown up and, and learned so much great content from you, Jack. So it's uh, it's awesome to be here uh, as a fellow content creator. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to talk some playoff football, some some draft situations. Uh, what do you do with your picks? What do you do with Kyler? I mean, there's, there's, we could talk for hours. Yes, we, uh, we will talk for hours, whether, whether you like it or not. No, I'm only teasing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, thanks for the kind words. Um, you know, and, uh, I appreciate it. You're doing a, you're doing a great job, uh, at breakout dynasty as well. Um, love what you're doing, but let's, you know, enough with the compliments and let's get right to it. I, you know, I, I wonder about this situation in on Thursday. I mean, this show probably will hit maybe just before, just after, but either way, I think it, it's, it speaks to the, um, the, the decisions that you're going to have to make this week, which I find to be very compelling. Um, you know, Brock Purdy, played a great game against Tampa Bay. He goes up against a much softer, um, you know, Seahawks defense. Meanwhile, Geno Smith has been playing tremendous, but is facing the number one defense in football. These two potential, now we're talking super flex. Obviously, if you're in a one quarterback league, the chances that you're playing either of these two guys is low. But in super flex, I know I've got, you know, like I said, 12 teams. I know in many of those these two guys are, you know, involved. I mean, I've got a few Geno teams, and I'm thinking of not not playing him. And I've got a few Purdy spots where I'm like, man, he's kind of tempting to play in this spot. But Thursday nights are abysmal. And a lot of the players that I might be playing them over are like sort of question marks heading into the weekend for various reasons. How are you treating this Thursday game in terms of Geno and Brock and 
What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think this is a really complicated question, uh, just yes. by nature of the the variability that you have with both of these quarterbacks. So, so let's take a step back, right? So, Gino, I have been a firm believer in Gino since he was playing last year. I live in Seattle. I've been going to the games. I, I won't go as far as to say I've been scouting Gino, but uh, he looks he looks like a really good quarterback and. Uh, I think this year has really proven that he is, you know, at, at the very worst case, a B-level quarterback for the Seahawks. Now, what turns out to be a B-level in the NFL for an actual team has turned out to be the number six overall QB this season, number 14 overall player in fantasy uh, in the 2022 season. Yeah. If you take a look at Everybody all- saw that coming. Everybody. Mile away. 100%. You know, <laughs> you just got to look back at uh, his West Virginia tape and you had nothing to fear, right? Yes. Um, but, you know, when you look at Gino's performance this season, he has, I think, scored like 20 points in almost every game that he has played uh, this year. He had a pretty abysmal game last week. I was at that Panthers game. He threw a pick on the first play. He finished somehow with, you know, three touchdowns and two picks and, you know, the the Seahawks lost, but he still put up almost 23 points in a pretty bad game. So when I look at Gino's, you know, performance over the season, I feel like, yeah, like he might be, you know, like a QB two, you know, for, for your team uh, in this given week. But Gino has reliably produced for your team uh, against most of the teams that he's played. Now, here's the caveat. His worst game of the season was against San Francisco in week two after that game against Denver and, and Russell Wilson. In that game, he had four points in, uh, you know, most of the leagues that I've played in, you know, give or take, yeah. given your, your settings, but four points, right? And we know that that Niners defense has only gotten better. Yep. We know that Niners defense now has, you know, a, a situation here where they can feast on, you know, Geno Smith and, and they have the blueprint to do it. And, and the Panthers have also shown, you know, uh, a way to defend against Geno that is, you know, scary because now you have a much more apt defensive coordinator in D'Amico Ryans uh, coaching against uh, uh, Pete Carroll and, and, and that offense. So I think it's really a question of how much do you want to bet on Geno Smith? Now, I'd like to caveat here that Kenneth Walker is coming back. And a big component of the game that uh, we need to consider here is that Ken Walker did not play last week. And so the team really had to depend on Geno. And that's probably not the situation in which he's going to shine. They did not have Ken Walker having heavy carries in week two. And, you know, now you have a situation where the offense is kind of coming back to having all of its pieces in place against the number one defense. Yeah, I I, I kind of like everything that you said. I just wonder what it actually means. And so what I'll what I'll what I'll go with is, um, you know, here's the interesting thing is if you look at the top of the quarterback board, the guys you're playing anyhow have pretty good matchups actually. You know, Jalen Hurts gets Chicago, Josh Allen home against Miami, Mahomes at Houston. I mean, the only thing there is they might just run all over him and Mahomes might not have much, but like the the idea that they won't be able to score at Houston is laughable. Justin Herbert gets arguably the best matchup on of the week uh at home against Tennessee. They're terrible uh, against the pass. Uh Dak Prescott gets 
at Jacksonville. That should be a shootout to some degree, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Burrow at Tampa Bay, they looked epically beatable, right? So you you sort of have this top level. Everybody's like a start. So that's after the top five or eight, however you want to slice it, five or six, seven. Then you start looking at some of these matchups. It's like, you know, um, Brady against Cincinnati. I don't love it. Tua at Buffalo. Don't love it. Trevor Lawrence against Dallas. Not awesome. You know, you start going up in a Jared Goff, who's been serviceable at the Jets. Uh uh-uh. uh. Daniel Jones, who's been good at Washington. Hate it. Right. You know what I mean? It's like you start just going even Derek Carr against New England. Not awesome. So you start going, well, I I don't like many of these matchups. And then you go further down, you know, or further along and, and you start seeing guys like, well, you know, Mike White who gets home Detroit, it's like, my gosh, if this guy is still in one piece, I want to start him over many of these guys. And I think that's what I'm getting at. If you have one of these top-level guys and you're making a QB2 decision with Geno Smith like, and and you have like Tom Brady or something, I think I'm playing Geno. I don't know, man. Like th- That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Like, Do you play Geno over Tom Brady? Uh, yeah, 100%. Okay. Uh, Even and- against that San Francisco team, yeah? Yeah, I think so. And here's why. So Tom Brady's upside this season is like two touchdowns, 200 yards, and a pick. So in Superflex, your upside on Tom Brady is, you know, like like Brady's value used to be, hey, he can reliably get you three touchdowns and 300 yards. And so you have a certifiable floor of like 20 points with Tom Brady. Uh, on On a game where they're absolutely blowing out their opponent, maybe he's 17 points. Right. But when you're looking at Geno Smith, right, they're going to have to throw, right? They're not going to be able to just hand it off to Ken Walker. And I feel like his track record has shown you that he can reliably get you that floor with a rushing upside where Geno is able to scramble and get you, you know, an extra 2.5 points here with a 25 yard rush or, you know, whatever you're looking at. And, and Brady, you know, he has not looked good against decent defenses let alone really good defenses and Cincinnati has a really good defense I'm not gonna wager on that offense to score a lot of points so what about the flip side the Purdy Brock Purdy versus a guy like Tom Brady who's in a get in a in a terrible uh matchup uh against Cincinnati would you play Purdy on Thursday night over the likes of Tom Brady all right so let's get into (laughs) Brock Purdy here so I feel like there's a couple of different uh, like lenses that you want to analyze Brock Purdy through. So the first and foremost piece is that we have one and a half games, 1.75 games of tape on him. Yeah. Every NFL analyst who has played in the NFL says that you need at least four games of tape on a player before you can actually predict tendencies and truly shut down that quarterback and force them to adjust. We have not hit that threshold yet. On top of that, the Seahawks defense is mid, right? That's why we're having a lot of discussion about with that number two or number three overall pick. Do they take a quarterback or do they take Will Anderson or do they take, you know, uh, a D tackle or or whatever, right? And I I think this is really the upside play that, that I would ask. Tampa Bay has a pretty good defense, right? If there's a, if there's an upside to Tampa Bay, it's their defense, not their offense. And Brock Purdy sauced them, right? Yeah, he sure did. He, he, he played really, really well. He looked really good. He looked like Jimmy Garoppolo plus plus. 
Um, And, you know, I feel like there is a competence that we've seen with Brock Purdy for two weeks. Now, this has helped with all of the, you know, assets that he has around him uh, with CMC and with Debo. I think the Debo injury is something to consider. How does that impact Purdy? But you also need to kind of factor in the fact that look at what Sam Darnold and the Panthers did last week. They ran the ball up Seattle's you know everything yeah and Seattle has <laughs> or down 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 or up either either way they did both you the direction you yes know? um but but Brock Purdy you know he if you look at the the offensive game plan that San Francisco is going to be coming in with they're going to leverage uh all the short yardage stuff that worked for the Panthers they're going to run with Christian McCaffrey which means that there are going to be high upside plays for Brock Purdy to make an impact once that Seattle defense can't stop the run on the flip side, I have absolutely no reason to believe that Tom Brady's offense is all of a sudden going to pop off against the defending AFC champs who have been on fire for the yeah. last couple of weeks. So every single time that I look at a quarterback matchup, right, every one of you listening, unless you're some sort of hoarder, you have no more than QB four QBs on your team, right? So every single time we're looking at the quarterbacks on your roster, I'm looking at the highest upside situation that I can have, right? right. There's, a, there's a question about the floor and there's a question about the ceiling. When we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, right, as a, as a te- textbook example, he has an extremely low floor. You can have a week where he gives you five points, right? And his upside, if he has a really good game, like I remember a couple years ago during that Super Bowl year uh, where they reached the Super Bowl, he had this one really good game against Arizona where he had like four passing touchdowns and 278 passing yards. And he maxed out at like 25 points. Right. Right. Yeah. So you're you're working with a range that's like not that delicious. But if you have no other, you know, quarterbacks in place, then you might just play him. On the flip side, when you have, you know, your all-star quarterbacks like Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes, you know that you're reliably going to get 15 points. You're probably going to get 20 to 25. And if he has a good week, you're going to get 30 plus. Right. So really, it's a question of how does your team stack up uh, when it comes to the quarterback position? And if you feel like that quarterback can get you 15 points, that is most likely going to be more than any other position that you have on your team. A good week for a receiver or running back is 15 points. A mid to bad week for a quarterback is 15 points. I think you should play Brock Purdy over Brady or any of these QBs that have kind of an iffy matchup. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, the thing with Purdy is, you know, they, the defense could, you know, it's, it's one of those divisional games. He could have, you know, 180 passing yards, no touchdowns, no picks, and they could Mm -hmm. win 30 to 17 still, you know what I mean? Like it, it won't be the Purdy show specifically if they win and score, you know, and that's where he scares me a little bit. As you mentioned with floor, I don't think there's much ceiling either. So I actually put him in the same bucket as Brady. Maybe, I don't, it's just, it's a close call. But I think that Gino is maybe a slice above that just because of, as you point out, the floor, he's going to have to do, you know, something on offense. And it's unlikely that it's going to be, you know, just running all over the San Francisco defense. It's, it's ugly. And that's kind of the point is like, that's where I go to, and and you know, you're going to have some teams that really need some of these crazy decisions. Why? Because Kyler Murray popped a knee and he's out. So now you look at, you know, maybe they maybe they were rostering a you know a handcuff and and Colt McCoy or whatever, but you know probably not. And even if they are, it's like I don't want to play his ass. So that's an emer- breaking case of you know emergency anyway. Break glass, right? 
Um, and, and when you look at some of these guys that you might have, these Jared Goff types, it's like you don't want to play Goff. Comes back around to Deshaun Watson a little bit too because he's got a good matchup at home against Baltimore. That's a good matchup. Trevor Lawrence has been playing out of his mind. He's got a tough matchup. It's just really tough, man. You go up and down. Brings me all the way full circle to Mike White, who I don't know just how high I can rank Mike White and feel uncomfortable with it, but I think I'm playing Mike White like almost every single place I have him. And it, and, and I have him in a lot of spots because I was I famously said, go pick up Mike White uh, like uh, months ago. Uh, because Zach Wilson looked like absolute shit. And everybody was like, what about Joe Flacco? And I'm like, no, it's going to be Mike White. And here we are. So I was a little bit ahead of the game and picked him up preemptively in a few leagues. So now I'm sort of saddled with this Mike White situation. And I'm looking at Mike White. You know, I'll, I'll ask it this way. Tua at Buffalo or Mike White at home against Detroit? Well... Uh, I think it's pretty clear to me that it's Mike White. Uh, right? And, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Yes. <laughs> the Chargers defense had a fucking JV team out there, right? Everyone's banged up on that defense. Everyone is a second stringer. And Tua went, what, three for 17 to start the game, right? That's Did the not t- look good. statistic that was floating around. <laughs> Did right? not look good. He had Tyreek. Granted, Tyreek was injured, but he still somehow had two very long touchdowns, right? He wasn't injured enough to not be someone who makes an impact. What D'Amico Ryans of the San Francisco 49ers defense showed us in that game a couple weeks ago during the party, uh, the party uh, breaking out uh, story, right? Yes. Is you jam their receivers, you mess up the timing just a little bit, and Tua doesn't have a rhythm right now and they haven't shown that they can adjust now buffalo has a pretty decent defense but they are again going to be playing outside snow in the forecast middle of the night game i'm not putting my eggs in the tua basket and for what it's worth i have not been on the tua train ever um my co-host uh for the breakout leo has always been on the Tua train and I've never been on the Tua train. Um, I, I am a certified, certified Tua. I wouldn't say I'm a hater, but I'm a, I'm a Tua disliker. Uh, I think that his upside is exactly what we're seeing. This is the best case. And, you know, more, more generally, this is kind of going uh, aside here. If you have Tua, sell him now, right. uh, this is, this is the peak value you're going to get for him. Now, on the flip side with Mike White, I think that you have a guy who shows upside. I mean, he had that game against the Vikings, right, where he balled out. Yeah. He's unlocking that offense. And um, who, who are the Jets playing again this weekend? It's the Lions? Yeah, the worst defense uh, against the pass in the NFL. Is that is that right? At home? Then, yeah. then Sounds you need good. to say nothing more to me. Yeah. That's it. That's the story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's Mike White. Here's the thing. It's like even like Mike White right now is like, was bent in half by a linebacker and like taken to the hospital that doesn't, you know, what if he's a little bit hurt and he gets hit again, he plays half a game. I mean, these are subtle thoughts, but thoughts nonetheless. And when you're splitting the difference, you know, especially because at quarterback, the floor is so high on all these players, as you point out that, you know, it's like, I'm really grasping for ceiling, but I don't want to give up my floor in order to get that ceiling. And that's why I start to think about these these decisions and playoff time. Like, you know, then then let me ask you this: uh, of the three, you just said you'd take Mike White over Tua. Where would you put like Deshaun Watson at home against Baltimore versus both of those two players, Mike White and Tua, this week? 
Yeah, I so I unfortunately have Deshaun Watson in a few of my leagues. Yeah. And um and by a few I mean one, just one league. But <laughs> um you know, I think this is an interesting question cuz like we in in fantasy and in football more generally tend to anchor to what we've seen from players but are very slow to adapt to the new information that we get about these players. Look, Deshaun Watson hadn't played for 2 years. He has joined the Browns offense, and I honestly can't really tell the difference between him and Jacoby Brissett in terms of production on that offense. Uh, against Houston, he looked awful. Okay, we'll write that off, right? They uh, It was his first game. Then he plays the Bengals, and I don't think he looked great. He looked a little better, but, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the bar was the floor, right? right. Uh, it, it was not, not very high. And then now, you know, you're saying it's an easier matchup against the, the, the Ravens, but I'll point out that the Ravens also like blew up last weekend against Kenny Pickett slash Mitch Trubisky, right? With those three picks. And I, I I mean, I think that the Cleveland offense is a little better than the Steelers offense, but you know, he still hasn't really found his connection with Amari. He's really relying on Donovan Peoples Jones. Um, he is a player who has a low floor, and I don't see the evidence yet to show that he's going to pop more than that. I mean, off of reputation itself, maybe you want to start Deshaun Watson because he isn't injured or all of that sort of stuff. But realistically, you know, if I have three quarterbacks on my team, let's say I have Herbert, I have uh, um, I have Geno, and I have, or let's say four quarterbacks, I have Herbert, Geno, Mike White, and uh, Deshaun Watson. I mean, really, your debate is you start Herbert. Do you play Gino or do you play Mike White? I don't mm. really think Deshaun Watson is in that equation because we haven't seen him do anything just yet. <clears throat> yeah, that's fair enough. I think, you know, look, Houston's one of those teams. I, I said it last week. Um, who went to Houston? Oh, Dak, you know, and, and I said, look, you know, Houston's really good against the pass, so we're probably going to see. Dak fail, I guess. And sure enough, that they kind of did. They they sputtered along. It's Houston's a team that can be run on but not passed on. And I surmise that it might be because they get run on so thoroughly that their pass defense doesn't need to be tested. But at the same time, regardless of the reason, through a big sample size of 14 weeks, Houston's like a top five pass defense, as is Cincinnati. You know, and you can have a reason for that too. They play in the, you know, the NFC North, have all the reasons you want. But the fact of the matter is, is that both those teams are top five pass defenses, and that's who Deshaun Watson played two weeks straight on the road. They, he gets Baltimore at home, who's not a top they're, – they're in the bottom ten pass defense, and I know that they played better against the awful Mitch Trubisky, but uh, I'd, I'd take the 14-game sample over the short sample, and I think Deshaun Watson's good. It could be a Deshaun Watson breakout game. Uh, he did rush the ball well last week. Um, he does give you rushing floor. I don't know, man. I, I'm I, I'm flirting with Deshaun, uh, not in that way, obviously, but I'm flirting with Deshaun and seeing what I can do in terms of moving him up um, in the in the rankings as I look. It's really tough because when you're playing the, you know, and a lot of times during the regular season, I'll just play kind of a lot of chalk and just let yeah. the the sort of matchups go. But when it comes to playoff time. I don't want to overthink it, but I also don't want to underthink it. I don't want to just be like, no, play your studs, man. Like during the regular season, I kind of do that. Like if I miss a Mike White game where he had a better matchup, but I, I, you know, I play him, I don't play him over a, 
a, a Tua or a Dak or whatever, and it's like he outscores him. It's like, eh, okay, I learned something. It's fine. I'm, I'm just going to sort of take the 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 long term approach over the course of regular seasons by playing quote unquote the studs a little bit more often. But in the playoffs, look, man, it's do or die. You need to win. So you really want to make good choices in terms of start sit. Um, and what's funny about that is, of course, sometimes you can overthink it. We all do it. How many times have we been in, you know, in a fantasy football uh, situation where we're like, dude, do I? I mean, this is when start sit. I mean, good God, you'll see it like you'll see frantic Twitter, you know, questions like, please help. You know, it's like, do I play? And and, and that's why, you know, I wanted to lean into it at the quarterback position, because in every league I'm in, I'm like, shit, I don't know, man. I feel like the the Purdy, Mac Jones at Vegas. Like there's a few of these like where I'm like, God dang it. I, I want to play these guys ahead of, you know, some of the some of the better matchups. I mean, so that's where it comes down to. But I think Deshaun could have a breakout game here. And I do kind of like his floor, especially when compared to, a, you know, even a Geno Smith, Mike White type of player. I think he's inching closer to that range this week. And his his matchups for the rest of the year are pretty good too, Deshaun. I think it's an interesting point that you make that like, you know, we tend to I kind of think of it like sweating the small stuff. Because yeah. here's the thing, right? If your team is in the playoffs, that means that you have managed your team well enough to be in the top half of your league, yeah. right? Fantasy and football more generally is a highly variable game. Yes. So here's here's kind of my advice to you. So you mentioned injuries, right? Is Mike White going to get hurt again? Injuries are unpredictable. Injuries are like things that you cannot like bet on. And if a player is playing, I would bet that they're going to finish the whole game. You could I would have... too. I would too. But I'm just right. saying like, he's not, it's not whether he will get injured. He is fucking injured. He was taken to the hospital. Like he's, you know, I, what was it? There was one time, you know, um, someone had been quoted like, every player in the NFL is injured. You know right. what I mean? Like right. they're all injured, but it's just how badly, you know? No, and I, and I feel that, but here's the heuristic. If yeah. they are playing, that's yeah. all you need to know. You treat them the same. Yeah. Unless, like, I mean, look, Tua had that concussion, right, against the Bills. Yes. And then he came out and he played against the Bengals. And in those games, in those couple of drives, he looked okay, right? Yeah. He looked like he was still producing until he got concussed again. Right. And you cannot predict a high variability event like that. No. But if you know that the player is playing, right, then you should just stick to your laurels. You know, when I uh, when I was growing up and, you know, I would take these multiple tests, uh, multiple choice tests, right? The Scantrons, for those of you who are, uh, you know, old like me, uh, you know, you you probably remember having to fill in, you know, oh, is it an A? Is it A? Is it B? Is it C? Is it D? And I, I learned that the trick here is that always trust your first gut. Yeah. Your first gut is like the gut reaction is always the right one. And if your gut has been, you know, riding Mike White, or has been writing, you know, betting on Deshaun Watson or betting on Geno Smith, and Geno Smith is the reason that you got to the playoffs, right? I would really not sweat it, and I would pick the players that you trust the most because you don't want to, you know, lose because you didn't play your best players. Always yeah. play your best players. The matchups will sort themselves out, and there's always going to be something unpredictable that happens. Yeah, that's the old Malcolm Gladwell uh, book, Blink. Yep. Um, if you haven't read that, read it. That's fucking awesome. By the way, you should all be reading all of Malcolm Gladwell's books because they're fucking awesome. Uh, if you haven't read Outliers, read it. If you haven't read Blink, read it. They're fantastic. Some of my listeners right now are going, 
what, what wait is it read are you fucking lost your mind i ain't reading nothing hey, go, you know? go get an audible subscription or go watch some <laughs> youtube videos you can you can also get the condensed versions if you want well especially if malcolm does it because he hi we'll do the. he's got the voice it's all badass i can't do malcolm gladwell's voice but he's uh <laughs> He's awesome. I, I love listening to uh, to Malcolm Gladwell. He has a, a podcast. It's a little soft and da da da. It's like wow. You're like okay. I'm listening to some important shit here. Oh, let's hear it. But uh, anyway, you're right. You go with your gut and <clears throat> excuse me. You, you kind of I, I do that actually. It's a little Dynasty Game Theory 101. Every every week right after the games on Monday, I set my lineups with a sort of blink approach um, toward the week. And I just, I just kind of, I don't do any research. I just kind of go with the gut and put it in there and look at it and go, yep, all right, there you go. And leave it. I don't think much about it. That way, when I come back to it, I kind of have like a, a refreshed look on what I just sort of thought. And like you said, from the gut, from my instinct of, you know, who's, who's a better, who's a better start, who's not a good start. And, you know, of course guys will get hurt, ruled out, doubtful, questionable, you know, matchups, rain, weather, all the other stuff starts to come in. And now you start to I don't know about overthink it because you really do want to consider all these things. I mean, let's face it. Wind is bad. You know, if you find out they're playing outdoors and high winds, you said it with Buffalo. You know, that's the thing. I mean, it's like, I, I don't think I want to play Tua. I'm not playing Tua anywhere. Like I have zero. I don't want to play Tua at Buffalo at all. It sounds completely terrifying. Um, you know, there are so, so many better, uh, you know, matchups, but the Mike White, is just so tantalizing. I wonder how high I'd move him up. Like, all right, so you've already put him well ahead of some guys because I think you're clearly above some of these others. So let me just do this to you because this is going to be fun. All right. Like Mike White at home against Detroit or Kirk Cousins at home against the Colts? Mm, this one's mm. interesting. Okay, so... Remember- By the way, I have Mike White one behind cousins in just the rankings I that I've done. I don't really publish them, but I do them, you know, whatever. So for that's right. For the, for this like dynasty rankings. No, I'm talking about for this week. Yeah. This I'm just like, okay. I do dynasty rankings. I do weekly, but I don't like do them. I just sort of, you know, yeah, I yeah. do them, you know, <laughs> you know, cause you got to so, know what the fuck you're doing. Uh, you but know, anyway. It's okay. So the Colts defense effectively shut down Mahomes and hurts, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what that Colts defense did. Uh, anytime that I play the Colts and Madden, that defense is OP, right? Like we, <laughs> we, we, I don't know why they're so good, but they are really good. And, you know, I, I think that like Kirk Cousins never has moved the needle for no. me. Uh, he, if your QB one is Kirk Cousins, get help, right? Yes. Uh, like call 911. Like that's not a good situation to be in, but um, Mike White has produced. If he plays, he has the matchup. Um, like, yeah, I, dude, I'm, I think I'm playing Mike White over Kirk Cousins. By the way, I do have a team that has a first round buy where Kirk Cousins is my, uh, quarterback one. I, I'm pretty okay, so sure I'm going to go double check Jefferson and J- uh, Jamar chase on that. It, team, it's right? a pretty good wide receiver, uh, uh, team for sure. Um, for sure. I think it's a start up to six. And I think I have like six, like kind of dope ones where like Gabe Davis is wide receiver six for me or something like that. So oh, yeah. Man. yeah, it's good. But, um, I think it's like, I think it's like, um, Tannehill, Matt Ryan, Cousins, and one more shitbag that I just have been like, you know, just rotating shitbag one or shitbag two. And Cousins is fucking starter. He's a starter. Right, I love right. him. He's there are edge cases here, you know. He's the anchor of that team. It is, but trust me, it's not pretty. But it's also a. Uh, it's one of those where I think it's a. 
four point uh, or there's something about where compute, uh, excuse me, uh, quarterback scoring is way, way lower. Like all the quarterbacks are much, uh, much lower. So it's like all depressed values. Okay. Depressed values. So uh, that's why I don't give a shit about quarterback as much in that league. Enough, of course, dynasty game three, one one Of course, that's why I'm winning in that league. Cause I saw that coming spent elsewhere, whatever. I'm not, I'm not bragging a little bit. I'm bragging, but not really. Okay. Hey, brag, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. So, okay. So maybe now you move them to that puts them for me at quarterback eight, um, which is kind of ridiculous. Now, what about Justin Fields at home against Philadelphia? You can't do that, right? So I'm I'm in one of the leagues that um, I'm playing in. Uh, my QB situation is Herbert, Geno, Fields, and Darnold, um, and I'm really debating right now: Do I play Geno or do I play Fields? Right now, here's kind of where I'm getting conflicted. So we know Geno is playing the number one pass defense in the NFL. Uh, and we know that Fields is playing against, I think, Philly's like number two or Philly's up there, right? Philly's got a really good pass defense. I was just reading that Fields has gotten ill. He has a sickness, and he's day-to-day, and it's questionable about whether he is going to play Sunday. If he is healthy enough to play, he will play. But we also know that Matt Eberflus isn't exactly always – like the most transparent with the injury report. And I feel like there's a situation here where for me, Gino plays tomorrow. Fields plays Sunday. What happens if I pick fields and he doesn't play? You play and Darnold. Just, you uh, play Darnold. I think that's the play. Yeah. I think that's the play. I uh, look in a vacuum. I don't think you can make the case for Gino over fields. Can you? No, no, no. I don't think so. But then okay. there's also the situation where they have no reason to play, right? They have absolutely no reason to play fields. Um, and I don't know why he's continuing to play. He's already yeah. been injured. Um, they're already in like the second or the third draft pick. Uh, there's kind of no reason for them to play him. And so, I mean, putting on my tinfoil hat, my conspiracy, is the illness a possible way to get fields to not play this mm. week. I don't know. I don't tough, know. Like, it's tough is- to do that with these players. Cause he's so competitive, right? So yeah. it's hard to be like, listen, you have an illness. He's like, fuck you. I do. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's a very, very difficult thing. I mean, th- even the money, you know, Hey, you know, in, in 2022, I went for 4,000 yards and a thousand yards rushing, a first player to ever do that, whatever, you know, I'm just making that shit up, whatever. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he's going to get to 4,000. I'm just, you know, in other words, your your statistical, you know, uh, footprint is your contract. So it's really, really hard to keep these guys off the field for competitive reasons, for just that's the their makeup reasons, and for money reasons. So generally speaking, I find it hard to believe that that's happening, but I do know what you mean. If everybody's in on it, then they can do it. But I don't know that Fields is in on it. I think he wants to play. I think he wants to go up against Hurts. It's a home game, um, you know, and, and and here's the thing with Fields, like he can be dog shit for the entire game, no touchdown passes, 100 yards passing, just nothing, and still have 150 yards rushing with a touchdown and save your day with 20 points. Like it's just, that's how, and, and even 150 yards rushing doesn't even need to be played good. He just had like one 40-yard run. You know what I mean? It's like it can all happen very, very quickly for Justin Fields, and his ceiling is so high, even in a loss. If they're getting smoked, he can still just sort of scramble around and, you know, garbage time his way to 30. I mean, so for me, Justin Fields is a must start every week. He he is for me in that in that group of must starts. Now, if you start to talk about Burrow and Prescott, you know, you can certainly talk me into playing them above Fields. Would you play Mike White against uh, over any of those guys this week? So 
no, right? No. Yes. No, no. Right. So I think Mike White is like the hinge point upside play. What's what's crazy about it is watch it be 10 to 7. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's like it's just what it's just going to kill us when we turn around and it's like right a fucking course it's this way. You know, so uh, we do all this, but I, I really think that once you get past, I, I for me anyway, once you get past the, for me it's Hurts, Josh Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, Dak, Burrow, Fields. After that, play your preference, play your gut, because it's really like you know I look up and down, and there's no like oh you gotta play this one, you know uh, Trevor Lawrence has the toe. I know he played last week. Um, you know, Russell Wilson is probably not going to play. I don't know. Uh, uh, Mariota's out. I mean, honestly, Mariota was a top 12, uh, you know, fantasy quarterback. A lot of people are now moving. You know, what do you do with Desmond Ritter? I'm not playing Desmond Ritter in a playoff game. So it's like there's there's just a couple of quarterbacks off the board. Kyler, Russell Wilson, potentially, um, you know, uh, Mariota. There's probably some others I'm forgetting. Well, Stafford's obviously been gone for a little while. So it's like a lot of these guys are – you know, questionable or off the board. Uh, you know, Purdy now is there instead of uh, Garoppolo. But if you had Garoppolo, he's off the board for you, right? So there's enough guys who have been taken off the board that, like, it makes your your potential QB2, even for playoff teams, you know, look, you could have been riding Kyler or well, you weren't riding Russell, but, you know, um, you could have been at least, you know, utilizing these guys on a playoff team as a QB2. And now you've got to make some different decisions. And, you know, like I said, with some of these other matchups, Jared Goff, Daniel Jones, you could have some very, very interesting decisions. I would play a little bit of matchup out there, folks, and let the chips fall where they may. Um, moving to the New York Jets where Mike White resides. There's a new sheriff in town. There's actually a few sheriffs in town. I think it's all stemming from this Mike White. You know, let's start with Bam Knight because for me, Bam Knight feels like the alpha predator in that backfield. I don't think he's going to cede meaningful touches to Michael Carter, healthy or not. I think he's the sort of 1A, and Michael Carter is in the Michael Carter role. Uh, you know, I think Bam Knight is now in the Brees role, and I think he's going to continue to get touches. I think he's earned the trust of both his teammates and the coaching staff and certainly of fantasy players. Are you comfortable playing Bam Knight this week as a um, as a flex running back two or three. Well, I mean, you got to look at the volume this guy's been getting, right? So uh, against Chicago, 14 carries. Against Minnesota, 15 carries. Against Buffalo, 17 carries. And he hasn't necessarily been touchdown dependent, right? His first touchdown that he ever scored was last week against Buffalo. Um, he is getting kind of medium sized targets, right? He's had 10 total targets, 10 total receptions this season, uh, but they're not, you know, hesitating to give him the ball. And as he's building trust with this team, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he, he's going to end up getting uh, that, that same type of uh, um, volume against the Lions. My question becomes, you know, are like who are you playing him over right like I know in some leagues I have the question do I play Travis Homer or do I play Zonovan Knight right that was a question last week and I chose wrong I chose Travis Homer thinking that he would get the volume and it turned out that Zonovan Knight was the one who popped off but 
realistically, it's a question of, again, what is the upside? And it doesn't look like he has like that crazy passing upside. He mostly is getting the volume rushing. And so really the question is, is he going to be getting those rushing touchdowns in order to make this offense uh, a click and, and, and ultimately make it worthwhile for you to start him? I think that if you are kind of deep in your bag and, and, and you're looking for a flex one, flex two, flex three, like he's worth putting a flyer out for. Um, but know that like, you know, his his upside is around that 15 point mark. Um, but that, but that's about it. I agree. I, I agree. But I think he's definitely, you know, a top 20 uh, start sure. at the running back position somewhere in there. Like, you know, I'm playing him over you know, Mostert and Fournette and, you know, players like that. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, you start looking at like, I'm playing him over Rashad White. I'm playing him over the the, the Tampa Bay backs. I mean, you know, you can make a case for Jamal Williams, but he's got a tough matchup at New York Jets, you know, obviously in that same game. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's somewhere about where he is. And, you know, Jamal Williams, David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift in the same game, you know, it's like right in there, you got to start thinking about, uh, about Bam Knight. Speaking of which, I, I just like to say, what the hell are the Lions doing with Swift? Like, yeah. He was my running back prince that was promised. Yeah. And here we are with Jamal Williams getting all of the one yard touchdowns, you know, <laughs> popping off and being like a top 10 running back this season. I mean, good for Jamal Williams. Totally. Like, what, a, yeah. what, a, what a lovable guy. Yes. But God damn it, man. Like my Swift shares. Come <laughs> yes. on, man. I thought he was going to be my running back one. And here we are. Uh, okay. Uh, I could, I could, I could complain about that for a really long time, but yes. you know, coming back to your point about Bam Knight, like, okay, he is a top 20 running back this week, but we're also in week 15. I don't know if that's saying that much, like every running backs torn his ACL or blown a knee or busted a lip or, <laughs> or something like that. Right. And like, I just want to like really make sure that if you're listening to this episode and you really are taking your fantasy hopes into consideration, temper your expectations, right? Yeah. Know what the expected return is for every player. Do not be playing your lineup from a perspective of, I hope he's going to get this. I hope he's going to get that. The data shows us that Zonovan Knight is going to get you somewhere between 70 and 90 yards. And it's a one third chance if he's going to get a touchdown, yeah. right? That offense is humming with Mike White if he plays. And if Joe Flacco plays, right, they're probably going to run the ball a little bit more. So you really got to like, you got to have the expectation that he's going to score somewhere more realistically between seven and 10 points. And if that's a good enough floor value for you or expect, sorry, not floor, expected value for that player, then put him in your lineup. But do not be disillusioned that he's going to put up 15 points, 20 points. He's, He's not getting that kind of production just yet. Yeah, I think the sneaky play this week, <clears throat> well, he's not sneaky at all, but I think the, the the guy who could have a sneaky chance at being like the RB1 overall this week is Isaiah Pacheco. Um, mm. You know, just because he's been really good and Houston's been so, so bad against the run. And I feel like it's been, you know, especially with Kansas City, it's been Pacheco, McKinnon, McKinnon, Pacheco, and back and forth. And it's usually not both. Uh, obviously, McKinnon plays the pass downs and, catches the ball to the backfield. Obviously, he was the RB1 overall last week. Um, that was, you know, not expected, of course. And, you know, Pacheco against this awful, awful Houston run defense, um, he he could absolutely torch them. Um, they have shown a propensity to not care about the run and really slow down the pass. And, you know, for, for Kansas City, who has, 
you know, you feel like they're they're smart enough to exploit that. Is I guess what I'm getting at. Despite Pacheco not being a you know a workhorse, he could really have a big big week. And uh, you know, if I have him on my squad, I'm looking for a way to make sure he's in the lineup. I will just say that much. You know, whether it's a flex over a a wide receiver that sounds like he has a bigger name. I'm not exactly sure where that line is, but I want to find a way to make sure Pacheco is in my lineup. And then, of course, by saying that, I guarantee you he falls flat on his face because I'm terrible at weekly rankings. Thank you very much. Well, you know, I think the reason that I feel hesitant about that is what you said earlier in the show, which is that Houston's used to being run on and that pass defense has not been tested. So, I mean, yeah, they picked off Dak Prescott twice, but I can see, you know, Patrick Mahomes coming back this week saying, you know, I got picked off three times against Denver. Uh, I, I had my Heisman moment, my MVP moment last week, and everyone is talking about Jalen Hurts and not me. Like, I could see him wanting to really light up that Texans defense and really put himself in situation to, like, take a hold of the MVP race. Um, and I feel like that should not also be understated because, you know, that that passing game, that that the way that the Chiefs played last week was shitty at points. And this is an offense and in, in a, in a guy in Patrick Mahomes that wants his team to be clicking on all cylinders. I can see a situation where Isaiah Pacheco is part of that game plan, right? And they choose to run the ball down their, uh, you know, down Houston's throat. I mean, that was what was working for the Cowboys, right? Yes. That Zeke scored that winning touchdown. And, you know, anytime Zeke has a good week, I'm going, damn, we're delaying the inevitable for another week. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, Again, it once like once you're looking at your lineups and you have those uh, expected value plays in, right? You figured out your quarterbacks and your wide receivers who you expect to give you a certain amount of points. Um, it doesn't hurt to play one of these high upside uh, right. guys because it's like you know in, in a lot of leagues that I play in, you have you're starting anywhere from eight to twelve players. If you have six of those players kind of producing an expected value and you know what they're going to give you, right? there's no harm in throwing a flyer in there that can pop. And if they don't, you know, you tried. Yeah, exactly. And and that probably comes to a, a spot where I would say when you're the favorite, you play a little bit more conservative. When you're the underdog, you, you, you throw in a few more higher variance players because, you know, you likely need that. And I don't mean underdog, but like four or five points. I'm talking about if you're a you know, you look at your team and you're like, dude, they've got Justin Jefferson. They got Jamar Chase. They got, wow. I mean, they're Kelsey. They're pretty stacked. I'm going to need some, I'm going to need some pop. I can't just rely on, you know, uh, whatever, you know, I was going to pick some average player, but of course, <laughs> whomever I say will go off for 40 this week. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at Gallup and Chark, you totally isn't going to get a bunch of points this week. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like Gabe Davis, you know, forget about it. I mean, how's he ever going to do anything? Um, speaking of which, he has a nice matchup against Miami this week, but a terrible situation, as you point out in the, uh, in the weather there, that's the thing. It's like every little, bit of information does lead you to understand what's going to happen. And for me, I don't mind cold, even a little bit of rain or snow is okay, but the wind is what really hurts that passing game. So check the wind uh, before the week just to see if there's any, you know, high winds. I haven't looked. I mean, it's only Wednesday we're recording. I'm not going to fucking look at the wind today, but um, you do want to look at that um, before game day to try and split some differences uh, in the passing game. Can they build a goddamn dome? In Buffalo, you mean? Yeah. I mean, that'll that'll be doing their fans a service, and that'll be doing Josh Allen a service. Um, yeah, and uh, also, can we play on grass? I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. 
every every field should be fucking real grass because these guys are getting hurt really bad because of the turf. You you've seen a number of situations where it's like a guy got hit in the knee and the grass gives way and it's like, Oh, saved a fucking broken leg or an ACL right there. You know, if it's when those cleats hold tighter than your, your ligaments, that's basically what's happening. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a more friction than your fucking ligament and the ligament pops because you have, you know, your muscles are strong. So it's just whether or not your cleat moves or the, or the ACL rips off the bone. That's the, those are the two things that are going to happen. Yeah, that actually made me a little squeamish. So you're welcome. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it hurts, but I mean, it's true. You know, I mean, it's like which one of those two things is going to happen? You know, I mean, way, yeah. it, it's just so obvious that you should be playing. And besides the grass stains, the whole thing. I mean, it just should be played on grass. And Arizona does it in a cool way where they have that tray that like rolls out. Have, yeah. have you seen that in Arizona? Yeah, they, I, think, they, I think it's cool. Their grass always looks pristine uh, for that reason. But I also think to, to keep a grass field uh, working that well in Arizona, they're probably draining the Colorado. Uh, <laughs> yeah. to get that working. Yeah, if but you've you ever know, been actually, to Arizona, it's like 120 degrees of just blistering heat. Everything dies immediately out in the sun. So that, that grass is definitely well taken care of for sure. Uh, a, a fun fun little non-football uh, uh, piece of information, fact that I learned uh, some time ago. Um, there are parts of the U.S. where uh, having uh, w- uh, grass is, you know, difficult because you have water restrictions and whatnot. And so people will, you know, still want their luscious green front yards. And so they'll put turf down. And yes. in these hot areas, what will end up happening is because it's not grass and it's not absorbing the heat and cooling off, it's turf and it's reflecting the heat. What you end up getting is even hotter uh, mm. uh, sections of um uh, of of land that make it even harder for plants to grow and for water to to really retain in those areas. Um, and so, um, you know, just just a, a fun little environmental fact that I learned that's causing microclimates where you know areas are getting super hot because everyone's trying to put their their green turf down so that they can impress their neighbors. Unbelievable. Yeah, I I'm not a fan of the fake green grass, although I, I, I maybe I guess I see some of the benefits. You know, it's kind of clean. You can lay around on it, but just not for me. I mean, either give me a nice set of gra- uh, you know, nice patch of grass or just do something else, you know, little rocks or something, you know, something, yeah. something kind of fun to look at. You know, that's what I've gotten. You know, I've got rocks in the front and grass in the back. You know, I mean, it's a it's like a it's like a house mullet. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, what's crazy, Abby, is like uh, right now it's like we're in the playoffs of the of the fantasy uh world and it's the end of the season for regular football we got the playoffs coming up it's such a great time of year and i have a friend of mine who's like he's like he's like in five out of six playoffs like absolutely killing it and but yeah he's like dude can't wait for the off season i got picks and da 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 and i can't tell you how much i still love like the moment the super bowl of of the fantasy season happens how much more excited i even get at that moment for football, because it's like the off season happens for fantasy, which is the best part of dynasty. And then the playoffs happen for real football. I don't know, man. It's so crazy. Even though this should be the pinnacle, it feels like in some ways it isn't. I know you do all the breakdowns of income and players and all that stuff. What, what do you think about that? Am I crazy? No, I think, uh, I think us dynasty players, we care about the process. 
right? Like I think that we play Dynasty not I, I, like so often. I I have like had these debates with people where it's like, would you rather win the chip or would you rather have five first round draft picks? And again, <laughs> yeah, and it's like I'll take the chip, hesitate. but I just wish I had those picks back. I know, yeah. I know, and people hesitate, right? Because yeah. it's like you know you would think that the end goal is to go and win a championship and win your, you know, your pot or whatever it is, make dynasty break even for you. But a lot of people really love the process of trying to just tell you, Oh, I was right. I told you that Jonathan Taylor was the number one running back over Clyde Edwards Hilaire, yes. or I told you Devonte was going to work out in the NFL and you guys were just haters or, Hey, I told you Kyle Pitts isn't going to produce for the first two years because he's a tight end and historically tight ends don't produce for at least the first three years. You know, like people love being able to say that. And, you know, you add in the fact that, well, like forget the NFL draft, right? The free agency period is actually, I think, where the most interesting stuff happens because entire divisions, entire teams, entire organizations, entire conferences change on the movement of single players. Right. Now, like you have Lamar Jackson coming up, right? And we know all about that shit that's coming up with, you know, he's injured and they won't pay him what he's worth. And, you know, he's, his mom's representing him. Like yes. it's, it's a it's a reality TV show, right? Like what the, he's cussing fans out on Twitter. Like I, I think it's a fascinating situation. I'm a Lamar lover. I think that Lamar uh, is, is not bad for a running back, you know, winning MVP at the quarterback position and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and someone is going to pay him. Someone yes. is going to make Lamar Jackson the richest quarterback in the NFL. The question is, is it going to be this year with the Ravens? Or is it going to be in a future year after all those franchise tags run out? And, yep. you know, uh, there's there's a high dynam- dynamic kind of nature to what happens. I mean, you tell me what happens if they decide we are not going to re-sign Lamar Jackson. We are going to trade him to the New York Giants. And we are going to get a, a draft haul back for him. Uh, what happens if he stays and they go and draft, you know, uh, one of the top receivers, JSN or, or someone else from, from this draft? Like you have an endless, endless selection of things that can happen. Look at the Giant, Bears. Giants, right? Giants fans everywhere scrambling for a wet towel right now. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, for real, right? The Giants have been uh, dog shit for quite some time. I mean, sorry, sorry to say it that honestly, but, you know, uh, the Giants have not been – I see them on TV and I go, oh, brother. At least Dable makes it like, okay, like they can be competent. Respectful, yeah. Yeah, Respectful. what happens if Jimmy G goes there? I mean, even that could be a better situation than what you have right now. Uh, what happens with the Bears, right? Like the Bears, I think, is my most interesting situation for this offseason. You got Justin Fields. And you know he can ball. You know that he is kind of getting hit. He doesn't have a lot of support. I mean, David Montgomery is whatever. Uh, you've got Khalil Herbert, who's I think he was injured, and now he's you know there, whatever. Uh, Chase Claypool is his number one receiver. What do you do, right? Do you go and get him a receiver in free agency? Do you go get him a receiver in the draft? Do you go the Baltimore route and not do shit like? There's an endless possibility of things that could happen in the Bears offense where you can now see, you know, an evolution of that player, of that quarterback, just like we saw with Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson a few years ago. And I'm super excited to see what these organizations choose to do. Um, and, and there's just like a plethora of things that can happen that can literally in an offseason make your bets that you made last season 
you know, maybe maybe there are players who are trading first in anticipation of a move that's going to happen in this offseason that's going to pay off. Uh, recommendation: Don't bet more than a year out on 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 the return from a trade. Do right. that, like you know, do that in season, or expect to get your returns on a trade within that season. Otherwise, you are really just playing a fool's game. Yes. But realistically, your team can flip upside down based on a couple of moves that happen in a four day span in March. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why we're so excited because each and every day we look back at our team and we go, "Are we better? Are we worse?" Is there an arbitrage opportunity in the market? Are there more players that I can get for cheaper prices? Like, you know, it's a, it's a, I love it. It's, it's, yes. man, I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, when we talk about dynasty rankings or dynasty player values, <clears throat> we all, we always have to consider, you know, these next three games, these next two or three games where you're going to be playing high leverage games for all the money. But right after they're over, then they don't matter anymore, those games. And only thing that matters is what 2023 is going to look like and if a player is going to retain his value or lose his value. And <clears throat> I've said, you, you, you asked the question at the top, you know, would you rather have you know, the five first-round picks or the, the, the championship? And what's, what's crazy is that Dynasty should be a focus on trying to have both, you know, which is to constantly be accruing value while also uh, increasing your team's chances of winning, not, <clears throat> excuse me, not either or. And that's the real trick to dynasty football is if you can actually, you know, thread that needle and have both, uh, that's where you truly are a dynasty because you are keeping it going. And if you can trade the, you know, it's just like anything else, like, you know, in, uh, in real football, when you have a lot of picks like Jacksonville did, you know, uh, the ETN draft and the Trevor Lawrence draft, they should have been trading those picks, not because the, the, the players, not, not specifically Trevor and ETN, specifically those players. I mean, the later picks, they had like 10 in the first 100 picks or some crazy shit. And so <clears throat> you want to just keep uh, backfilling those assets while also still getting a player. You know, it's the old Michael Lou. You mentioned him at the top of the show. Is like Michael Lou or maybe in the pre-show or whatever, but either way, Michael Liu, you know, was the one who was sharing with me, you know, anytime you can make a trade in a same tier, but you pick up profit, you're compelled to do it. You know, if you have, I don't know, Terry McLaurin and Amari Cooper as the same value, which is about right, I guess. I don't know, but you can trade one for the other and pick up a second round pick. You should be doing that. It's not because you like the one player better than the others because you like the value better. You know, if someone all of a sudden thinks that that player is better and is willing to give you the value, take it. Um, and so that's really the key to dynasty fantasy football is not being so locked into your player take that, no, dude, Terry McLaurin's way better than Amari Cooper. I would never, or vice versa, whatever. You know, it's having some fluidity and saying, yeah, I can, I can stand that. And if I'm right or if I'm wrong, at least I have the second round pick to cushion the blow. If I'm right and I actually get the better player and the value, that's where you can win. And that's why you want to make as many trades, quote unquote, like that as possible. Where you're making a trade, but you're basically helping, you're, you're, you're allowing someone else to make the move they want to make. You're giving them the player they want to acquire. And you're taking on somewhat equal value from their team, but then paying, uh, charging them a tax, whether it's a, a premium pick or not but some sort of tax that now insulates you if you're wrong. 
And if you're right, you dominate the trade. And so that's really the key to, you know, sort of transacting your way to both the five first round picks and winning the championship. So I I think you made a really good point um, that I want to like double click here, which is that trades are an opportunity to help two people, you and your trade partner. And I think a lot of people in Dynasty look at trades as an opportunity to exploit other players. And I promise you, that's not like something that's hidden. If your goal is to extract the most value from another player uh, at their expense and kind of dupe them or or you're coming at it from a standpoint of like, I'm better, I'm smarter, like you are ruining the opportunity for you to make a good trade. You're ruining the opportunity for you to build a relationship, right, with another player in your league. And you're losing out by nature of that opportunities to make good trades for yourself in the future. I mean, if you're an NFL GM, right, your goal is not to go around and say, hey, fuck you, all the other GMs, I'm smarter than you. Your goal is to go and make sure that everybody feels like if they come and trade with you, you are going to make them better because that's what's going to want going to make them want to trade with you. I think a really good example of this is, you know, just kind of taking a couple of things that you said there. Um, I made this trade last year in the middle of the draft. Okay. I was sitting at the 110 pick, I believe. And Chris Olave was the top player uh, that was available at that point uh, in the draft. The guy who just came in second in the league uh, he was really looking to uh, move off of A.J. Brown, uh, given the situation that was going on with the trade to Philadelphia. He was not betting that Jalen Hurts would be a better situation for A.J. Brown than Ryan Tannehill. And he really wanted Deontay Johnson, who, uh, if you remember correctly, last year, uh, he had a really, really good year with an aging Ben Roethlisberger. So the thinking was, you know, he, he, he has more years of high production left. I was really low and am really low on the 2022 class. I love first round picks and I did not really like Chris Olave. He's proving me slightly wrong. I mean, he's doing, he's doing pretty good for himself, but he's, he's no Jamar Chase, right? He's no generational type of wide receiver. And so he and I kind of had a lot of back and forth while I was on the clock on that 110. And we ended up coming to an agreement on this trade where I traded him the 110, Deontay Johnson, my second three-thirds and three-fourths, so pretty much all my picks in the 2022 draft, for A.J. Brown and his 2024 first. At the end of that trade, I felt like I got better because I got a bona fide alpha male wide receiver in A.J. Brown and a motherfucking first right. in exchange to get off of all of the <clears throat> risk for the 2022 draft and off of a wide receiver that I was betting wasn't going to do better than he had in the 2021 season. He and I both have left that trade and we reflect on this every you know couple of weeks when we have trade discussions that that trade made us both feel so good as independent you know team team owners that he wants to come and do trades with me in the future and he knows that I'm coming at it with a you know situation of good faith. And I think that that's something that like if there is a lesson to be learned in dynasty that can also apply to your broader life It's that when you work with people and you're creating these relationships, your goal is to help other people because if you help other people, they will help you. And I think that that is like 
so paramount for these teams that do really well because other people want to trade with them. And as a result, for one guy, you know, Kyler Murray might not be on the table, but because I like you enough, I'm willing to consider him in the trade discussions that we have. Uh, And that can really play in your favor. Ladies and gentlemen, Abhi Gupta. I mean, what a gentleman. I mean, everybody here knows. They're just waiting for me to get back on the mic and be like, yeah, man, I wish I was that nice. Uh, I am I am agreeing with you, actually, in, in one sense. Like, one thing that I've learned is that sending a bad first offer is the worst <laughs> thing you can do. Yep. You know, sometimes I'll send one. <clears throat> it's kind of bad. Um, and it's like, you know, I'll be like, it's kind of bad. And then I just go, ah, I, I know it's bad. I'll kind of DM and be like, I know it's bad. I'm just sort of starting something because I want Camaro whatever. I'm just, you know, making it up. And they'll be like, yeah, never for that. I go, I know, I know, I know. Just counter me with what you're thinking. I, I wanted picks or what, you know, just this is the, the, the starting point of where I, where I was at, you know? And, and so sometimes that's the only real bad starting offer I'll make, or if I just like fuck it up. I've had a couple where I've sent one, someone sent back and they're like, seriously, dude? I'm like, yeah, sorry, bro. I don't know what the fuck that was. Like that was, that was a mistake. But like, I actually like to fashion a trade that might get clicked accept, right? I like to send a trade that they might go, actually, that's a pretty good trade. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking say yes to that. Um, I do try to do that. Now, if, if there, if each side is a hundred points in value, I probably send 120 to to 80 or 85 to 115. 115 my way, you know, more value to me, but not 20, 180. You know what I mean? I don't try and send that trade because that's disrespectful, so to speak. And you're right, moreover, in that you should also be looking at what that team needs. You know, <clears throat> right now, if you lost Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and whatever, and you got some other, oh, wow, he's he's in the playoffs, and he only has one quarterback. He's starting, you know, uh, some shitbag backup wide receiver, you know, as his super flex. Like, my God, he could probably get himself 10, 15, maybe 20 points this week in a playoff game. I have Mike White or whatever, you know, like there's an opportunity for you to get a top 10. We just said it, quarterback this week, and I'm going to exploit that. You know, Mike White may be worth X. I'm going to get X plus because you fucking need him. And it is a win-win. I get to sell high on this moment and you get to hopefully win your playoff matchup, which is as valuable as anything. That is win-win. But that's also understanding what he needs. Now, if you try and do that same trade, I'm going to get X plus And a guy's sitting on... You know, he's got Herbert, Mahomes, and and Hertz. He's like, the fuck do I want that shit for? Get out of here. You know, it makes no sense to that player, that manager. So I think also understanding the needs and like roster construction of the 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 team that you're trying to trade with. I've seen a lot of trades come my way where I'm like, I see what this dude is thinking. I ain't taking this deal, but it's a pretty good offer. You know, I'll even probably mention it. Like, great, great offer. Thank you so much. Not working for me, you know, next time maybe, you know, whatever. But it's like, that's a that's a smart offer. And that makes you, like, as you point out, want to reach back out to that other owner again because you're like, yeah, I think he sees kind of the fucking way it goes. When people do stuff that just makes no sense, you're very unlikely to send them stuff. And if you do, I swear, when I think people have no idea about the value, I will send them a 50-150. You know what I mean? I'll send them 50 on, on their side, 150 on mine because – who the hell knows if you really thought those other trades were really 
workable trades. Maybe you'll think this one's good somehow. And yeah. they sometimes do. They're like, they'll click accept. And you're like, this moron. Jeez Louise. He's not actually an asshole. He's a moron, right? Do you want to, that's actually another bit of analysis. Is the guy sending them to you because he's a complete idiot or because he's an asshole, right? I mean, an asshole you could deal with, but an idiot, my gosh, you can just take advantage of him. And I do think that that is something that you should be doing. If there is a guy in your league with real money, man, I play poker. When I'm at the poker table, I have no remorse. We're all signed up for the same game. If you put all your money in with shit cards, I'm going to take your money. And that's your fault. That's not my fault. I, I'm i just playing the game as the rules state. I'm going to take all the money and hopefully see you next week. I'm not going to yeah. you know, try and, well, let's not win too much. I'd like to see him back next week. No, I'm going to max out every time. Like That's that's the role of, that's what you're trying to do. And, and the same thing in 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 dynasty i've seen some teams you know i've seen other managers i've done it but i've seen other managers set themselves up for a long period of time i saw a mahomes kelsey trade that has had made this team in one of my leagues and you know who you are nemesis one of the one of the best teams i've seen because he fleeced his best friend so he's also an asshole yeah, but anyway <laughs> well i mean so I think this is really just a question of what your philosophy is when you play the game. And it's clear like for you, right, when you're playing the game, your goal is to like take into account what the situation is. Yes. Take that information, take those analytics, that information, yes. right, as some people Full would circle. say, and uh, figure out what you want to do with it. I'm a lot more of the perspective that like if like – I bet that people will come to their senses if there's like a bad trade. They will learn that like a trade that they made was good or a trade that they made was bad. Like that feels like something that like if you've been playing in a dynasty league for three years, you will feel the impacts of your moves. And, you know, yeah. when you trade, I don't I don't know, like um, I don't know, you you trade Alvin Kamara for uh, Mark Ingram, you know, back yeah. in whatever his rookie season was like you're gonna feel the impact one way or another yes. right and you're gonna look back and go damn i shouldn't have done that right um and and those owners are going to be playing with you right and so really the question becomes for me how comfortable do i feel in taking advantage of what is going on i i have had situations let me, let me interrupt you i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you that you should feel very very comfortable taking advantage and if someone is willing to trade you marking or alvin Kamara for marking you should do it i had nick Botterford on the show last week <clears throat> and he made a very similar point to the one that you're making and of course i pushed back we had a little conversation and later in the podcast he was using another lesson that he had learned and he had learned through this trade that he made he made a trade where he sent his first round pick. He was in a startup draft. So he sent his future first round pick for Will Fuller and Gus Edwards. What year? Uh, it was a couple years ago. You know, okay. when Will Fuller, uh, it was before Will Fuller was, it was like he was playing. You know what I mean? It was right before he hurt his finger, I guess, is when he said. So whatever year that was, it was still Will Fuller. And so anyway, he brutally lost that trade. And then after he said that, I said, well, do you hate the guy that 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 did that to you? And he goes, I don't remember who it was. And that's the point. It, nobody did that to him. He did that to himself. He, it takes two to tango. You can't actually screw someone over because you can't click the accept button yeah. for them. You well, know, and so 
where he, the nuance he, here though yeah, I think ahead. is that like you there are people who will like send trades right and then if you accept it you accept it mm-hmm. but there are some people who will then try to convince you yes. that the trade that like that's the nuance that I'm trying to get at sure that's a little bit if different I, yes. if I send you something and you just taco yourself like <laughs> Like, I can't really help you there, but yes. if you are like actively trying to manipulate your other owners into getting you a trade that's like heavily in your favor, totally. like that's bullshit. That's like Bush league shit. Sure. And that's specifically what I'm trying to call out. Cause there yes. are, there are people who I've played with that are like, no, no man. Like, you know, um, uh, what's an example? Latavius Murray has, uh, you know, running back one upside in his, you know, third, when he's 30, you yeah, should yeah. trade me, uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire. Like that, you know, granted that did not wash out to be as clear cut as we think, but like, that is, you know, if you're making that trade in 2020, that, yeah. that's a, there's a very clear, like, come on, dude, that's a bullshit take. Yes. And you're just trying to lie to me at this point. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's dishonorable, right? Because either you're an idiot or you're thinking I'm an idiot. And I think you think you're being smart by doing so, yeah. right? And that, that's yeah. a dishonorable trade. I totally agree with you. And that's where, well, yeah, that's douchey, right? Yep. So don't be a douche. For sure, don't be a douche. But definitely be a killer. You know, you can definitely, because sometimes too, it's funny because you'll have this great trade sitting in your inbox. And what do you do? Sometimes you go, Oh my God, should I do that? And you're like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. And like, you think for a minute and you're like nervous and you're like, meanwhile, any pragmatic thinker should be fucking slamming that thing home. I've had a, you know, I'm an advice giver. I'll have people send me like this thing. What do you think I should do here? I'm like, dude, that's a fucking hurry up. What do you, go make sure that trade didn't get revoked. Like go slam that fucker home. There's no counter, no thinking. Just hit accept. And All so right. can, can you give me yeah. can you give me some advice? Yeah, on, go for it. On a trade that I'm debating right now. Yes. So in a league where my quarterback situation is Justin Herbert, Geno Smith, and um uh Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. Those are okay. like my four QBs. Um I just barely missed the playoffs um, because of a bunch of injuries that happened to my team. Um, I somehow traded for the 101 before we knew it would be the 101. Sure. The guy who is the number one seed has Kyler Murray. He only has one quarterback. Okay. I have a trade sitting in my inbox right now for 101 and Geno for Kyler Murray and a 2025 second. Hmm. Do you do that? Because I'm left with zero or with one QB. I think the 101 turns out to either Bijan or Bryce Young for right now. Yeah. A QB replacement. And I don't think we can say certainly that Geno is not going to have the Seahawks quarterback job, let alone a quarterback job next year for a QB who's probably not going to play until mid next season and who will probably take some games to warm up. Well, what do you what do you what would you do in this situation? I don't think I would trade the one hundred and one for that. I don't think so, especially giving up Geno too. Um, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a very good trade. I here's here's the main reason I feel that way. I think between now and when that one hundred and one is picked, there are going to be better opportunities for its use than yep. that. I think I could sell Geno on its own. <clears throat> just Gino, see you later. If you believe what you believe, I'd say, look, you have to figure out a way to buy Gino in a different way and sell Gino. You want Gino? You're gonna have to pay me here. Cause there's a very good chance that he's, here's the thing. I said this about Mike white. One of the reasons that I think Mike white 
and Gino are in the same bucket, it's like they could be pumpkins, but they also could be week one starters in 2023. Very, very, very uh, reasonable to consider that they both could be starters. It's possible. I'm not saying it's likely. Probably Gino is more likely than Mike White. I would agree. So I think for that reason, Gino's likelihood of being the week one starter in 2023 is pretty good. He was he was very efficient. This wasn't lightning in a bottle, so to speak, where it's like, oh, he had some big games. He's had like consistency this year. He's been the most, actually probably the most consistent quarterback in the NFL. Crazy yeah. to say that. So for all those reasons, I think Gino is more valuable than than you're giving him credit for. I think Gino is closer to Kyler and Dynasty than that difference. I'm not saying yeah. they're that close, but they're closer than that difference. And so I'm not paying the 101 to move from Gino to Kyler. That just feels like too much because the, the, the other pick is worthless. It's, it could have been anything. I thought you were going to say a first, and I'd be like, okay, now maybe. I, I, I threw that offer out. I said, give me a first. And he was like, all right, I'll send you the second. Let's make the deal happen. And I'm like, nah. oh, it's 2025, man. No, and, and I wouldn't do it for a 25 first either because that's too far in the future. And it really, you know, it's it's not a very saleable. You have to wait two years for it to be a really valuable commodity. So I don't like to trade at all. But for the main reason, I think the 101 gains in value as all your other league mates kind of gather around and look at the TV together and you're all looking together. You go, shiny, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is shiny. Everybody's looking at it and you go, you like it? I like it. Yeah, you too. Instead of this one guy making you this offer in the night and stealing the 101 from you and then you have a broken five foot ten quarterback on a battle, you're like, what the fuck did I just do? I would not do that at all. All right, fair enough. You know, you make a good point too that the the one hundred one or any draft pick, right? Yes, it appreciates the closer that you get to the yes. draft. Like we haven't had the like tension build up, right? You haven't had the like draft foreplay yet. Yes, and like you, we haven't felt everyone do the C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, whoever whoever else is out there. Um, kind of debate yet, right? Right. And once that kind of builds up, and you know, we we have our episodes out, and we've really like pent ourselves up on what these quarterbacks are gonna be like on draft day. That one hundred and one is gonna be worth so much. Yes. Um, and, and I also I think that I also think that uh, Bijan is going to be in the Saquon Barkley range of rookie. I think he's, I think he, for many people, and I probably agree with this, I think he's the RB1 overall in Dynasty right now. And I'm not Mm -hmm. even, that's not even, I don't feel like it's a hot take. Like Jonathan Taylor, you know, Swift, Eckler, McCaffrey, Brees Hall, Javante Williams. Like, who are you really going to take Saquon Barkley over Bijan if you could take one running back right now? It's probably Bijan. So I think he's. I don't actually know if I agree with that. You can disagree, but here's the thing. I think the market will at least have him in that conversation, sure. and therefore yeah. the value will be there. Now, if that is the value, and I think it's going to be close to that, why not sell that value as opposed to the the the, the secret selling of a, the 101 where not everybody even realizes it's the 101 and that it's available and yada, yada. No, I'd let, that, I'd let that thing marinate. All right, fair enough, fair enough. I was thinking realistically the 101 for Kyler should be fair enough. It's not crazy, uh, but he's hurt, and it's, and I just think that I think you're right, and then you're saying okay, but then you're selling Geno light. Yeah, I, I think I play with a bunch of Geno haters. Um, yeah, so, that's fine. You know, so then he's your quarterback. Yeah, you know? yeah, I guess I'm keeping him. Yeah, 
You know what I mean? He's your guy. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, now that you're not in the playoffs, you're you're running the risk that he does devalue. But unless there's a playoff team who has a hole at quarterback, and if you're talking to him, he needs you more than you need him. And he yep. doesn't need to get paid the one-on-one to, to save his season uh, for bailing out. Uh, you know, he because he, he look at it from his perspective. He's like, fuck, Kyler got hurt. I got Geno and the one-on-one. Boom, I'm back. Fuck that. You're going to have to yeah. pay to get back you need to you you don't want to win fine you're playing for next year you get both you get to play for this year and get the one-on-one what do i get a broken quarterback f that not your deal pass everybody is trying to convince me gino is gonna fall off a cliff he's not Great. worth it and i'm just like bruh like in these ass games that he plays he puts up 22 points like that's yeah. a like in in this middling season in this stretch where they've lost three out of four he's still the qb6 right yeah. in a league where like you're struggling to find healthy quarterbacks like bro there's a premium here so yeah. no I'm, think, I'm gonna, okay. yeah i think he's gonna I, I, gino has proven something this year i don't know exactly how long this ride lasts but i don't think it's gonna be his last starting gig how's that no i don't think so he he's a free agent at the end of this year um, which actually is a, is a good transition to talking about kind of Gino here. Um, yeah. I, I think that he's a he's a hot topic issue um, when it comes to this offseason because what happens with Gino drastically impacts where these quarterbacks go, yep. drastically impacts what happens in the top of the draft, uh, drastically impacts the quarterback situation. Like w- what happens if Gino goes back to New York? What happens if Gino ends up in San Francisco? I mean, I'm just, that won't happen, but like no, what if yeah. that happens, right? What happens if Gino goes, I don't know, to Houston, Carolina? Carolina? Like you got a plethora of options here. Or um, and- Denver. Ooh, ouch. Oh, that'd be kind of funny. Well, too we've soon. always known Gino was the QB one, right? Oh, like, too like, soon. Gino just like I've I've also um I'm not I'm not a big Russ guy. I'm not a he's too cheesy for me. I can't oh, do it. So bad. Uh, oh my god. Broncos country. Oh my God, let's ride. Um, you you look at Gino, right? And and you go, okay, he's matured. He's producing consistently. He is overcoming the adversity. The mental toughness is there. He's playing in the NFC West. Um, and he's in a contract year. And I think that it's a very tough decision that they're going to have in that Seattle front office of, well, we have an extremely young core, Right. But if we go and draft a quarterback, we can reset the financial timer. We can, you know, go and uh, really have the potential for an A or an A plus quarterback. But Gino knows our system. He's been here for three years or something like that. He showed that he can operate this offense really well. We were winning games with him. The weeks that we lost was because of the run defense. Um, I mean, in a way, this is exactly the formula that that they used to win a Super Bowl in 2013, right? Where you have a quarterback who can make just enough plays, but you really rely on the defense and the run game, which is quite literally what the Seahawks are, sans the run defense. Um, And so, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see what the Seahawks choose to do. I mean, you know, when you start asking the question this way, forget about, you know, how they perform. But just ask yourself the thought experiment. Who is going to start more games for the rest of their career? Uh, You don't have to answer. You can rhetorically answer whatever. Geno Smith, Derek Carr, right? Mm. Geno Smith, Daniel Jones. Geno Smith, Jimmy Garoppolo. Geno Smith, Matt Stafford. Geno Smith, Jared Goff, right? There's just so many. Geno Smith, Tom Brady, Um. 
you know, there's so many of these quarterbacks. I mean, you know, you look at the top, I've got my dynasty, uh, you know, quarterback rankings and it, it goes to about 13 and then there's questions because you look at like Mahomes, Josh Allen, Hertz, Lamar, Fields, Burrow, Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, like it or not, Kyler Murray now, a little question, but at least, I mean, he's going to be back eventually. He just got paid. Tua and Kirk Cousins. After, I mean, I suppose you could even argue that those two guys have some little tiny bit of questions. You know, Kirk Cousins getting a little older. Tua, boy, oh boy, if he falls on his face the rest of the season. But as it stands right now, those 13 are pretty like locked into opportunity going forward. But after that, you know, Trey Lance, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Uh, There's been some rumors that Tom Brady's going to go play in San Francisco next year. I I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. But he's going to go play somewhere besides Tampa. He's going to play someplace besides Tampa, right? Maybe New England, uh, maybe San Francisco, but not very many other places. Maybe Vegas. Mm, There's a couple places. But anyway, Trey Lance has proven jack squat. And, uh, and then you start looking, Derek Carr, Mac Jones, Kenny Pickett, Daniel Jones, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy G. The other thing that we're learning here is that there's a lot of at least available seats, right? If, yep. if you can only name 13 solid starters going into next year, then basically that means there's you know almost 20 that are up in the air. And as you point out, Gino is likely to get one of those seats is kind of what I'm getting at. So I like Gino next year. He's starting somewhere. There's no You'd way feel like he it's true. have the season and he's yeah. not going to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, New I mean, Orleans. Yeah. I feel no, like, right. I mean, they need a starting quarter. I mean, the point is you, you name a team, New Orleans needs a starter. I mean, they, they're not going to go with, they, they, they're clearly not going to go with Winston. They haven't gone with them this year. They're not going to run back fucking, Andy Dalton, that's not happening. They're going to look for somebody as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of seats. Yeah, and I I think to that point, you know, I think the value of Geno Smith, now you're talking me into it appreciating over the next couple of weeks or or months because, I mean, if Geno stays in, in Seattle, right, what if they go and draft Tyler Lockett's replacement or they go and draft... Uh, a bona fide defensive stud, right? Uh, you have kind of the same situation as Gino had this year, or he leaves, and you know, if he, again, I, I'm I'm anchoring on the Giants because I think a good offensive player going and playing with Brian Dable is going to be fun, um, and I think is like one of those like multiplier effects where it's like you know you're playing Candy Crush and you get five in a row instead of three in a row, and it's like more points. Kind of feels like one of those things, um, but. So the question becomes, how much does Geno's value appreciate? And if we know he's most likely going to start somewhere, we know that he's going to get at least a two-year contract, probably a three-year contract from someone. And he is, if he's going to start, he's going to have a floor of 15 points, as you pointed out. And if he stays healthy, which is a randomization kind of event, we know that he's going to have value. Yeah. Um, So convincing me that Kyler is worth Geno. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know about that, but it's close. I mean, you know, when I look at my um, my dynasty rankings, I actually have Geno at at <clears throat> at QB fifteen, and in and around the the Derek Carr, Mac Jones, Kenny Pickett, Daniel Jones, you know, tier because at least I know he's performing this year. Now, as the offseason moves forward, there's gonna, as you point out, there'll be Geno Smith news that 
I'll probably move him down a little bit behind Derek Carr, Mac Jones in the off season until he signs. And then I'll move him back up. Like that's kind of where I see him. Like, I feel like if you could, I mean, think about it. Would you rather have Mac Jones or Geno Smith in dynasty right now? I think this one's, this one's too complicated. This one's close. You know, no, I don't, I don't know. Well, hold on. Let me think about this. And you're, you're watching my process happen live here. So I think what we're seeing from Gino is the ceiling, right? And I think that it's a consistent ceiling. But, um, you know, he has like low to mid rushing upside. He'll get you between 18 and 22 points reliably. Mac Jones has been meh. But I think a lot of it has to do with his situation with, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge being your offensive coordinator and him barking and your offensive weapons are ass and, you know, all all this sort of stuff. Like he's not really in a situation where he can pop. What happened if he would have gone to San Francisco? What would have, would he have been like Brock Purdy who has a higher upside than Mac Jones in any given day? Like I think that Mac Jones, because he's so young and because there's a lot of variability in his situation, he could end up becoming really, really valuable. But I think that what's inflating Mac Jones's value compared to Geno Smith is the fact that he is young and has a lot more career, you know, like, things that could happen in his favor and his value is already pretty low. Yeah. I, I guess my, my point is, is after, the, you know, look, if I have Mac, uh, Geno Smith at like quarterback 15 or somewhere in that ballpark, I don't know. There's too many names behind him where I'm like, Oh yeah, definitely. Like, I don't yeah. know. Geno Smith, Ryan Tannehill, you'd rather have Geno Smith, you know, yep. Geno Smith, Jared Goff, Geno Smith, Mike White, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's at least a cluster there. And the the this year, Gino has been great, or at least so consistent that it's great. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, next year, yeah, that's the question mark. But I think there's a question mark for many of those other players. Like, Matt Stafford may never play again. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, Zach Wilson might really never be a starter again. That's definitely in the cards i mean or at least a you know a starter where it's his team type of starter you know obviously i think he'll start a game again obviously i, I would definitely bet that matt ryan may never play after this year i mean his, this could be his swan song um you know where are you looking for the, the this value i mean then you start talking about the desmond ritters sam howells malik willis those guys may never get a shot a real shot ever um i, I don't know i mean sam darnold baker mayfield like there's just a lot of questionable players behind them where I just think that that's at least Geno Smith very, very and the, the fact that he's a free agent actually, I think it probably helps him because all of these questions, someone is going to think Geno Smith is at least the short term answer more yeah. than a bridge quarterback. I mean, he, he's more valuable today than wherever Teddy Bridgewater was like what a year or two ago, whenever he was like, you remember that, you know, yeah. it's like, I think he's more than that. He, he Teddy Bridgewater was never the quarterback six in any fucking given season. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, realistically, I, uh, one really weird place he could go is Tennessee. That would be an interesting place for Geno to end up. Because, like, they, you know they're all fed up of Ryan Tannehill. They don't think Malik Willis is ready. What happens if you put Geno in there? Competent right. quarterback who can deliver the ball down the field reliably and yep. takes care of the ball within reason. Like, Man, like there's just so much potential here um, just looking at that one player. And 
I, I think this also kind of just speaks to how much dynasty is fun because yes. six months ago to a year ago, we did not think Geno Smith was a player at all. So yes. what quarterback is sitting on the waiver wire or deep on someone's roster <clears throat> that if you had just made the move, he could pop. I mean, who knows? Maybe in a couple of years, Drew Locke is that quarterback. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is possible, which is why you kind of want to just stash these sort of high, you know, high profile quarterbacks, you know, high draft capital. I mean, Gino was actually a, you know, he, he flamed out, but he was a yeah. high pedigree player, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I would, I would, it's just like Zach Wilson right now. Like, right. Zach Wilson is the classic example where, you know, you can go buy him for nothing. And if you've got a deep roster where the, you know, whoever has him right now would be like, dude, whatever, you know, you could definitely fashion a trade where you can get off. uh, You know, you could get Zach Wilson for, for pennies on the dollar right now. And it's probably a lost cause, but you know, we've seen it with, with Jameis Winston. We've seen it with uh, Marcus Mariota. We've seen, we're seeing it right now with Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. Um, he could be Josh Rosen, but he also could be Darnold or Mayfield or Geno Smith. So that's why you, you know, kind of want to play the, play the middle and at least have, have a few opportunities there, especially if you can buy super cheap. So I don't, I don't blame you one bit. Speaking of super cheap, I think those of you who have been stashing Jordan love for these years, uh, your payoff might be coming, um, payoff, you know, relatively speaking, he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers, but I mean, it, it, let's say that he looks like Mike White. Let's say that he looks like Ryan Tannehill. You know, he's getting you more than zero points like he's been getting you these last couple of years. Uh, it'll pay off. And, you know, people are very quick to get hot on random random players. Yeah, I would be buying in on Gardner Minshew and Carson Wentz over Jordan Love. Like, <laughs> put that on wax. Hey, man, he looked uh, he looked good in practice, okay? That's what yeah, the reports yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I've seen this movie before. It doesn't end well. I mean, it's it's just not going to end well. But uh, speaking of ending well, this this pod is going to end well. We're gonna we're gonna go out on on this. We're, this has basically been a quarterback episode, which you know we kind of thought it would be. We might go here or there, but this has been an awesome show. So let's finish it with the the rookie quarterbacks. I am a little bit of the opinion that I don't know enough to really have an opinion yet. I've certainly not done any film study other than like watching how good they are here and there and like been like, damn, that that motherfucker's good. But let's just talk about it. Let me ask you this question this way about the incoming rookie quarterback class. Do you believe there is a two quarterback tier or is it different for you? I don't think that I have enough information to make a reasonable call about this, but this is actually a perfect time for me to plug uh, the breakdowns that I do on the Breakouts channel. Um, you know, you mentioned you can find us anywhere that you can search for us. Um, the, the places that we are the most active are on YouTube uh, yes. and on uh, TikTok, actually, where we will make uh, short form videos that kind of get get the point across for those of you who can't pay attention. And, and then, of course, uh, on, on anywhere that you can find your podcast for those of you who have long drives to work or are using any excuse to um, kind of get away from all of the things that are going on in life. Um, you know, we, we make these breakdowns where we go and look at what are the film, uh, and, and the scouts saying about these players, what are the statistics telling us about the competency of that quarterback and how do we merge those narratives together to get us a, a predictable picture about who these quarterbacks are before we even know what teams that they're going to. I think a lot of this is kind of like a pipeline of, of, 
trying to fit those pieces together to get an understanding of who the quarterback is and then figuring out where the right places are for that quarterback to end up in the NFL. We know that the the big debate we've heard so far is Bryce Young versus CJ Stroud. Um, and I think that, you know, there are a couple more quarterbacks that are, are, are you know, sprinkled in there, Will Levis um, and, and some others, of course. Um, but I think just kind of off of what I know right now, both Bryce Young and CJ Stroud have had the best supporting casts that you're going to get in college football right? They're at two premier programs. And what we've seen is that CJ Stroud is inconsistent. Uh, he has not played a full game this season, right? Full full game in the sense that like he hasn't looked dazzling from start to finish. And we know that CJ Stroud has a lot of potential, but he hasn't really refined what he uh, can bring to the table. On the other hand, we see that with Bryce Young, there's a dynam- dynamicism, right, to how he plays, where he has that Kyler Murray or that Jalen Hurts factor, where he's able to get out of the pocket, he's able to scramble, he's able to make plays. And I think that just based off of that kind of high level breakdown of both of these players, I really do think Bryce Young at this point, you know, in the middle of December, before we've even ended the NFL season, <laughs> Bryce Young is a better draft prospect than the rest of the quarterbacks. However, I, I'm not going to go as far as to simplify it to two tiers. I think that it's more likely that you're going to have a three-tier evaluation um, where you have like a 1A, a 1B, and then the rest. And the rest are quarterbacks who are just going to be okay, like they're going to be fine with some upside, or they're just undraftable. Yeah, <clears throat> I am uh, I am very dubious of this class. Um you know, you mentioned Bryce Young and you allowed yourself to utter the names. I think it was Kyler and Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I only have the problem that, you know, Bryce Young has rushed for 172 career yards. Mm. Like, I, I don't know, man. I don't see. Look, people always say, look, yeah, but he can run and I don't. He is athletic and I've heard all that. I've heard that years and years. And you know what? It's seldom. You're a numbers guy. You're a data data guy. Go tell me the guy who did not run in college, who all of a sudden became fleet of foot in the NFL. It's a short list if there is one. So, you know, maybe there's a guy, but it's not very, not very uh, common. Uh, So I'm not so sure I want to bet on a 5'10", 180 pound player who had a good supporting cast and performed, as you point out, you know, but you know who else had a good supporting cast was uh, Joe Burrow, right? You know, so I've seen guys come out of there and, 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 and play well. I'm a little bit hesitant on CJ Stroud as well. I don't think that he is a 1.01 type of quarterback prospect. Now, all these guys, any of these guys could end up being that sort of that player that like, Oh my God. I mean, even Herbert, right. Herbert wasn't a 1.01 type of prospect because there was some concerns about his processing and his happy feet and how he handles pressure, yada, yada. And then he turned out pretty good. Um, I did think that both Lawrence and fields were that guy. Um, I just don't see that here in this draft class. Um, You know, when we do the anatomy, when I do the anatomy series, we look at what, uh, an elite quarterback or an, any position looks like at the NFL level. In other words, what traits and characteristics does the top 10 
dynasty quarterbacks share. And they're going to share some things that both of these guys lack. Um, You know, Bryce Young will lack that size. C.J. Stroud will lack mobility. Um, So for that reason, those are pretty big ones. Um, I'm going to be a little bit hesitant, a little bit gun shy on both of these players uh, at their at their cost because I think it's going to at least ha- how we see it now is that these guys are going to go high in the draft. Uh, Mel Kiper had Will Levis as his number one quarterback in the draft, which is both hilarious and terrifying. Uh, hilarious that he thinks he is the number one quarterback. Terrifying that it's possible for him to say a, a prospect like Will Levis is the number one pro, uh, quarterback prospect in a draft class, which I think just speaks to the uncertainty of the quarterback draft class in its, in its entirety. So from from my from my liking, if I'm picking where these players are going to go, and there's a pl- there's a manager in my league, at least as of right now. There's a manager who who sees them as a top 10, 15 dynasty quarterback. I'll happily give them this player and this pick for another quarterback and, a, and another pick or something. You know, I'll move off the player uh, in this class because I'm very, very terrified of both of these prospects, not from a talent level, just from a peripheral level and a value, uh, you know, 1.02, 1.03, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm excited to see how it all shakes out too because, you know, we we're not even done with the college football season yet, right? So right. there's there's more tape to be had. I mean, yes. I I know that like big games, right? Yeah. Big games coming up. I mean, we know that the Justin Fields uh, college football playoff semifinal against Clemson did something to his draft stock where he threw for six touchdowns and completely sauced Trevor Lawrence's Clemson Tigers. Um I I feel like there's more to be said here. And, um, you know, if if you are looking for that position by position breakdown, um, make sure to follow the breakout. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Real Gupta, and you can find uh, my content on the breakouts, YouTube and TikTok channels. Abigupta. I mean, just just folding in that plug just perfectly at the end of the show. (laughs) I love it. I mean, uh, I I think we're probably going to look for our running backs in this class. Um, I'm I'm you know, sometimes I get the heebie-jeebies around this time of year right now. Like I start thinking that the class isn't as good. And I will say that even if you start feeling this way about the class, be patient. We talked about it a little bit during the show, but you really want to wait for the picks to gain value. Because even if a player loses value that's in this class, he'll just move down. I.e. all the quarterbacks from last year. You know, all the quarterbacks, all the Desmond Ritter, uh, Sam Howell, um, Malik Willis, Whatever the other two, I'm forgetting. Doesn't matter. They all, you know, they all. Uh, Matt Corral, right? Matt Corral was going to be the number one player. They didn't get drafted in the first two rounds. They all went in the third, fourth, fifth round. That's fine. Then they're not the they're not the player that people are going to want to trade for. They're going to want to trade for whoever is the 1.02, 1.03, 1.04. And that's why you don't want to panic on a class because you're like, oh, I don't think Stroud is good. I got to get out of here now. Don't worry about it. That'll all settle itself in. Hang in there. Allow the, the offseason to happen. Go listen to Abby Gupta on YouTube. Keep listening to this pod, and we're going to get really good uh, at, at calling these players and telling you what to do. But definitely don't sell short on your players, uh, on your picks, like Abby was about to do. Thankfully, I saved his life from Appreciate selling it. low on that 1.01. And talking him back into Geno Smith, 
Of course, all of this advice means that Geno Smith won't be a starter and Kyler is going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. I totally fucked you up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you. You were great. You were really, really fantastic. If you're not already following Abby Gupta, go to Twitter and follow him now. Go to his YouTube page and click and subscribe. He's the man. And thank you so much for coming on, brother. Yeah, 100%. And hey, I hope we can do it again sometime because it's very rare that I'll come into these sessions and I'll I'll learn uh, like a boatload and I feel like I left here like uh, like I left a lecture in college. Ooh, thank you. I'm uh, Professor, Professor Falcone. Well, <laughs> on behalf of everybody here at The Undrafted, on behalf of everybody here at The Undroppables, on behalf of the greatest podcast producer the land has ever known, Michael P. Duncan. You have been joined by Abby Gupta and I and Professor Falcone, and we are. <laughs>